I'm just so excited that Pastor Emmanuel is here. Got to hold it in. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I met him in 2019 when I went to Rwanda for the first time. And it was like, for me, when I met him, it was like, this is what it feels like when you walk with Jesus. It must feel this way. So when I came back from my first trip in 2019, I was wanting him to come and, you know, praying through that and been praying for it for a couple of years now. So now that I've gotten to go back to Rwanda and spend more time with him, I'm just so thankful that he can be here. Um, so Pastor Emmanuel Sataki is, um, he grew up in Rwanda and he is a survivor of the 1994 genocide. And he will share today how God saved him from that and how he has used that to um, build the kingdom and just share God with the orphans and the widows and, and beyond um, with his ministry called Rwanda Rise. So without further ado, <laughs> I want them to hear from you. Thank you. Thank you. So what time? The time? What, what time? Good morning. Uh, do you want to learn uh, some uh, of my uh, languages? Uh, my national language is called Ikinyarwanda. So I want to teach you. I want to teach you Ikinyarwanda. Are you ready? <laughs> so you're gonna repeat after me. You say, "Yesu." Ashimwe. See, now you can speak in Rwanda. <laughs> that means praise to Jesus. Amen? So I'm really honored and very privileged to, to be here. And um, even before going deeper uh, to share with you this morning, I want to say thank you. Thank you so much for uh, sending Angela uh, representing, you know, the whole church in my uh, country of Rwanda. She did an amazing job. Um, uh, there are kids who were just amazed to see her touch and uh, her love to them. And it, it was just amazing uh, to see what God did through her. So, um, thank you so much uh, for sending her. Uh, I, I, as I said, you know, um, you're going to have to bear with me because uh, English is not uh, my first language. Uh, I speak six, uh, six language. I think um, English is the sixth one. So, <laughs> you're going to have to bear with me and really pay attention because uh, I believe uh, this is not an accident for me to be here is uh, God's plan. You know, Angela, uh, she wanted me to come in 19, no, 2019, but I believe this is God's time to, for me to be here. Amen? Uh, can we stand together? Father God, I give you praise. I ask your presence, O oh Lord, spiritual God, uh, I ask you to move this morning as I'm speaking to uh, your people. 
I'm nothing without you, Jesus. But I know you know our hearts. You know what we need. You know every thought, every thinking, every reaction in this morning. I just want to surrender at your feet that you can speak to us. God, move. Uh, I know that your spirit is moving. So be glorified and be honored from every um, word that we'll be speaking. Let be it for your glory and for your honor. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. You may be seated. So um, I'll be sharing from uh, the Bible, but also I'll be talking about my personal experience. Uh, I'm from Rwanda. Rwanda is a, a small country in Central East Africa, uh, well known from what we experienced in 1994 when we had uh, the horrible genocide that uh, took over than one million people in just in 100 days. I survived that genocide by God's grace. Uh, I lost 35 relatives. Uh, they died not because they have sinned, but because they belonged to a tribe. When, when the other tribe was just looking to exterminate. Um, so that is uh, my little background, uh, how God saved me, how, pro how he protected me uh, from that genocide. It was just a miracle. And uh, I still believe God, uh, he's still uh, in uh, miracle business because standing here this morning is, is a testimony that God is still in miracle business. You may not uh, believe that, but uh, I want to reassure you that God is still in miracle business. So, um, in 1994, when uh, the genocide happened, uh, it was, people were saying that uh, tribes where uh, one tribe, which was the majority, called the Hutu, were looking to exterminate the minorities, which was called Tutsi. I belong to the Tutsi minorities tribe. But when you go to the background of the history in our country, uh, before... Rwanda was a kingdom. And this kingdom, Tutsi and the Hutu were living in harmony. They were intermarriage among Hutu and Tutsi. But when we had the colonialists came, they found this kingdom well organized and they, went, they wanted to penetrate to be able to rule over the country because Rwanda as a small country but it's very strategic to be able to go to the neighbors countries like Congo Kinshasa which is 
another, you know, huge country, have all you can imagine for a country to be rich. So, willing to be able to bridge to go to that country, they needed uh, Rwanda as, you know, this central country to be able to go to Congo. So, that's what happened. They said, now, the kingdom is resisting us. How are we going to do to divide them? You know, there is say that uh, divide, div you divide to conquer. So they went to the small portion of uh, Tutsis. They said, you, you, are, you are having the kingdom. You are wise. You are intelligent. So we're going to continue to empower you to be able to rule over the Hutus. And then after a while, they, they went to the Hutus. They said, you, you are the majorities of this country. How in the world these minorities can rule over you? So they equipped them. They said, we're going to equip you. We're going to uh, train you. And you can just take over, take revenge, and take this kingdom out of the country, which they did. So they empowered Hutus. They said, you know, we will help you, we will support you, then you can just take this kingdom out, and we will be with you. So there is another, a, a first genocide which is not known in 59, 1959. It was the first genocide. They were burning Tutsi's houses, and uh, they would kill, uh, I think at that time they killed uh, 20,000 um, Tutsis, and some fled the country at that, that moment. So that's how we had uh, more people in the neighbor's country who fled the country in 59. So what happened in 1994, uh, people were living outside the country. They grouped themselves, they said, Rwanda is not for Hutus only. Rwanda is for Rwandans. So they put themselves in a group um, to fight for coming back in the country. So the, the former government didn't want that to happen. They said Rwanda is for the Hutus. You don't have place to live. You need to stay in those neighbors' countries. So um, the RPF, the Rwanda Patriotic Army, they just came together and they said, we cannot continue to live as refugees because we have our country. So they, in 1990, they started the movement for coming back. They wrote the letter to the United Nations and nothing happened. They were coming peacefully in the country and the United Nations didn't do anything for um, helping them to come. And then uh, 1994, what happened? They just uh, decided to come fighting for the country. So when they were fighting, the former government said, as you are coming, what we're going to do, we're going to exterminate everyone from the Tutsi tribe inside the country. Then when you are coming, you won't get any help. So that's what they, they, they orchestrated uh, 
every um, means for just exterminating everyone who was inside the country. So we, uh, we lost, as I said, over than one million in 100 days because it was well planned by the former government. So uh, at that moment, I was attending the school in Congo, Kinshasa, because from being a Tutsi tribe, I couldn't study in my own country. So I left the country, and that's how I learned all those languages, because I was going from one country to another, and I had to learn the national language of those countries before doing my studies. So I went to Burundi, I went to Congo, so I had to learn those, those languages. So uh, then, when the genocide happened, I was there two weeks before the whole crashed. I was there. I, I went there for a short vacation. And when I get there, it was, uh, it was uh, very tough, tough to understand. Because my brother was working with the United Nations at the moment. He came to pick me to the airport, pick me up to the airport. And he asked me a strange question. He said, why are you coming right now? And for me, you know, I knew that there were some issues inside the country, but I didn't know that the genocide was really, you know, planned. And he said, you know, I'll explain to you when we get home. He drove me home because he was driving a UN car. At that moment, it was only UN car who was living, moving in a city. So when we get home, he said, you need to go back the next day. Because even for us, we don't know if tomorrow we'll be surviving. So he took me, actually, he didn't took me the, to the airport the next day. He asked one of his friends, who was from France, he asked him to go take me back to the airport. I had uh, a round-trip ticket. So he took me to the airport. When I get to the airport, I found just a, a French troop that were controlling the airport. They asked me to present the ID. You know, in our national identification card, it was well written which tribe you belong to. And that was the shortcut to know who belonged to which tribe. So they asked me to present my, my ID. I reached in my pocket. The first ID came was my student ID from Congo. And the guy saw, saw the, the, the ID and said, ah, you, you are Congolese. So I, I, I needed to say, no, I'm not. But I, he didn't allow me to express myself. And he just waved me in. And I, I went in. And that's how, with that piece of ID, that's how I escaped the genocide. I left the country. I was the only passenger from Kigali to the neighbor uh, Goma is the neighbor country in Congo, Kinshasa. And um, two weeks after, tried to call my brothers and sisters, call my family, and uh, no one was answering. So um, if they can show the picture, um, you can see that is my family before the genocide. Uh, in that picture, it, 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 there, there, there are just two people, uh, uh, my sister-in-law, and then my mom and the rest were killed in that genocide. 
So uh, I had to, to understand how this is going to happen for me. I didn't really want to go back in uh, a country where I lost everything. At that time, I didn't know that my mom survived. So in 1996, in April, I was attending a youth uh, conference meeting. One pastor came to me, and he said, uh, are you uh, Pastor Manuel? And I said, yes. And he said, uh, I got the message for you. And I was curious. And he said, God asked me to tell you that you need to go back in your country. I didn't have any desire any motivation uh, to go back. And I asked this guy, and I said, do you know what happened to my family? And he said, no. And I asked another question. I said, do you know what happened in Rwanda? And he was quiet. And I said, thank you for that message, but I'm not going to take it. So I really refused to take it in that message. I was actually lost in my belief processing the loss of my family, and here someone telling me that God is sending this message for me to go back when I lost everything. After two months, another guy came, and he said, uh, are you Pastor Manuel? I was just laughing. And I said, uh, and when he said, uh, God, and I just, just stopped. And I told him that two months ago, a pastor came saying, I need to go back to Rwanda because God wants me there. And I said, I'm here as a youth pastor. I'm serving God. Why God would want me to go where I lost everything? And he said, I don't know what he's talking about with that pastor, but I know that God wants you in your country. So from that moment, I was quiet. And I said, God, why are you using these different people? If you want me to go, why you can directly talk to me? But by God's grace, uh, I took three days praying and fasting because I wanted really to know if this was coming from God. So after the third day, it was clear in my mind. I had the peace I received when I saw that this is really God speaking to me. I had the peace like I was saved when I was 17 years old. Uh, so I decided to obey God. April 1996, God provided miraculously a ticket for me to go back. When I get back, that when I realized that uh, people, I just open a parenthesis here, just so you can understand. People without God can react like animals. I saw that by my own eyes. And it's not only in Rwanda, it's everywhere. It's happening everywhere. But I'm glad that uh, I'm in the house of the Lord. I'm talking to God's people. 
So when I saw that, I get there, it was, that's two years after the genocide. It was terrible to be, to experience that. And when I went there, God spoke to me in an audible way. He said, this is what I want you to do. You need to take care of orphans and the widows in your country. You know what James 1st at 27 said? The Bible says the true religion is this, to take care of orphans and the widows, not being corrupted by the world. So that was like a awakening in my, my inside and say, God, how am I going to do this? I'm just lost. I don't have any family, any support. How am I going to deal with this? But uh, through God's provision, I had uh, an opening job with the United Nations. Unfortunately, this United Nations, uh, I'm not ashamed to tell you that it's a corrupted system. And if you want to know more about that, ask me, I will tell you. I worked with them for five years. They abandoned my brother. He was working with them. They abandoned my sister. She was there when the genocide happened. They, when they came to evacuate international staff, they left them behind. And they were killed. But God opened that door for me to just uh, temporarily experience what is happening in the, in the world. But it also provided financially um, for me to be able to take care of these orphans and the widows. And that's when I started the ministry. In 1996, I started the ministry of uh, ERM Rwanda. Uh, at, at that moment, ERM stands by equipping, restoring, and multiplying. But we changing the name. It's now Rwanda Rise. So that is the ministry um, helping these um, people who were abandoned, just we can help them to bring back dignity they lost when they lost everything. We are teaching them uh, a means to uh, sustain themselves, helping them to not being uh, eternal beggars on the street. We teach them skills where they can be able to provide for themselves and also provide for their families. So we started in 2008 uh, a vocational training center uh, where uh, we can teach them a one-year program, six-month six program, and, and uh, three-month program, short, short and long term. We can teach them the skills they can use for providing for themselves. And also, when they provide for themselves, they are providing for the communities. So you can visit my website, as a, a Rwandarise. Uh, .org, you will see more uh, and uh, with different uh, testimonies. In the end, I will be showing uh, a little uh, testimony from Girinjiro. Uh, um, Girinjiro is a Rwandan name, but uh, if you translate Girinjiro, means hope. So you will see that. But let me just, uh, before closing, go to uh, the Bible, and then we can be able to wrap up uh, our time. 
Are you still with me? Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, um, in the Bible, uh, I want to go to Matthew uh, 6. Uh, the verse is uh, Matthew 6, uh, 14. It is, uh, it, is, it is challenging, you know, to combine, you know, my testimony but with uh, what I really want to, to share. But uh, um, let's just read and I think the Spirit will, uh, will, will move and, and, and uh, guide us. Matthew 6. Uh, 14, the Bible, he said, uh, if you forgive those who sinned against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Amen? So, um, there, is, there is something that uh, um, I really want to share because forgiveness is tied to what we experienced in Rwanda, uh, especially myself. You know, people who killed my family were not strangers. There were people we grew up together. People who were coming to our house. We shared meal together. We grew up in the same community. We were playing soccer together. They were friends. But as I said, they just became like animals. One time, when I started the ministry, I was going around to get these orphans who were um, helpless and hopeless. And uh, I said, uh, God, how are we going to do this? And uh, through that job, I was able to provide for them. And what we did, uh, I didn't sense God ask me to build an orphanage. I sensed God asked me to rebuild what the enemy destroyed. And that was the family unit. So I was bringing orphans and the widows in one roof because widows lost, parents, lost husbands and they lost um, kids, but they had houses. So when I got the orphans, I would just send them to these widows and I promised to provide for them. And uh, it was just a win-win to see this happening when they came together. And then um, after seeing what God is doing, I was in Kigali, that's the capital of, uh, of Rwanda. And then I went, actually I was motivated to go where I was born in the south. It's called uh, Butare. 
So I went there. I didn't know that uh, uh, anyone survived from my family. When I went there, I went to where I was born in our house. Everything was destroyed. And I went around. When I was just looking around, I saw my mom. And uh, at that moment, it was really, really tough. Uh, you know, when you can see your mom and she couldn't recognize me. Because when they were killing uh, my brothers and sisters, the rest of the family, she was standing by. And they said, uh, the killers, they say, we're not going to kill you, but you're going to die from what you're seeing. So that's how, you know, she was traumatized. And um, it, was, it was tough. It was really hard to see your mom being survived the genocide, and he couldn't recognize me. But again, by God's grace, um, through the job God provided, we were able to take her to uh, Switzerland in Geneva because in Rwanda at that moment, there were no trauma specialists, no hospital because most of uh, uh, doctors, most of, you know, they were, they were just killed. So through that job, uh, and with my sister-in-law, who lived in Geneva, we were able to send her for six-month treatment. And then uh, myself, I was really wondering if I'm going to stay there. I want her to stay in Geneva because my, my sister was, was, was living there and my sister-in-law. So at that moment, she went there. She was able to be treated, and uh, after she get uh, recovered, after six months, she said, I need to come back. And I said, why are you coming here? And she said that I couldn't really handle, you know, the, the snow and, and the weather there. And <laughs> then she, she came back. Um, actually, uh, I'm glad she did, because uh, among the nine orphans I started the ministry with, she was able to host three of them. And now they are married. Um, they are our children. And we have uh, grandkids. And it's just amazing uh, to see what God had planned. Um, so she's, she's healthy. Uh, I think someone saw her, her picture. And thank you. Uh, thank you, Angela. Uh, she's healthy. She's, uh, she's 90, 97. Yeah. So, <laughs> and uh, it's just a blessing uh, to see her. Um, but again, what happened, uh, I want, there are some pictures I'll be sharing in, uh, in the Bible, um, Bible school, uh, Bible study. Um, there are some graphs that I, I don't want to share with the kid, but one time she showed me this place. She asked me to, to come with her. She showed me this place where uh, the rest of my family were 
buried. Um, they were digging holes and putting them somewhere still alive. And, uh, and I said I needed to, to do something. because I didn't want my family to stay in that hole. So I dig that hole and took them and buried them officially. I asked my friend to come. At that point, I understood that, uh, yes, my family were killed. What would be my next step as a Christian? So that when Lily, God teach me this forgiving message. Forgiving is a process, but it's a complete process. By God's grace, I was able to face these killers. As I said, they were not strangers. They were, they, they were my friends. But uh, one time, they asked me to go. My mom asked me to go with her. Because she was a live witness. After being recovered, she knew exactly those killers by names. So when they was try, they asked me to go with her. Uh, first, I didn't want to go. I was really uh, hesitant, I, dragging my feet. And I said, what if I go there and I, I lose control? So I was just pondering and asking myself, is it really a good time for me to go? And I pray about it, and then uh, I didn't want to offend my mom. And so we went to the tribe. And I faced these guys. And I saw them standing there. And at that moment, there is a verse that came alive. In my insight. You know. The Bible says. Revengeance. Is mine. Says the Lord. That verse. Came alive at that moment. And I was. Like awakened. I said. What is this? And I saw these killers. I faced them. I saw them. They couldn't even open their eyes. And, and, and face me. They were. Pretty much ashamed. Then God asked me to do an elephant step. I looked these guys in their eyes. They were just head down. And I just stepped out myself. And I went to extend this message. And I spoke to them clearly. You know, <laughs> what happened to Joseph? When he was sold by his own brothers in slavery. It was a time when Joseph faced his brothers. And they went, they, they, they were just... Asking, begging him to forgive them. And Joseph weeps. Do you know why he weeps? 
he didn't weep because he was angry or uh, uh, obsessed. Or, no. Joseph was full of compassion when he saw his brothers coming to him. And what Joseph did was an amazing step of faith, sharing with them that he can forgive them. That was my situation when I faced these killers. And I asked myself, who am I? Because the Bible is clear. Bible said, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But, you know, if is a condition. And each condition much followed by an action. Because if we want really to step out ourselves and preach by actions, then we have to step on Jesus' feet. So I was asking myself, say, God, what can I do in such situation? By God's grace, I empty myself. And I said, I want to extend. I want to forgive you from what you did. You intended to harm me. But God had a better plan to this present that I can stand without any shame and extend a forgiving message to you. And I talked to them. They were <laughs> very ashamed. They couldn't really face me. But I said, I just forgive you. You know, as I'm closing, the only antidote of revenge is forgiveness. You can't live in peace you can't pretend love without forgiving others. Brothers and sisters, we should graciously forgive others. You know, Anne Landers, he said something that uh, I want to quote. He said, uh, Hate is like an acid which destroyed the vessel in which is stored until I forgave. I was a prisoner of those people who killed my family. So I want to tell you that until you forgive, you will be a prisoner of those 
who offended you. So we should graciously forgive others. Amen? I don't know where you are standing this morning with this uh, business, but uh, there are things that are happening in the whole world. You can, you know, the media is, is, is showing how people can react as animals. People are innocent, people are killed. But as a Christians, we should stand without any shame that Jesus the master, the king of glory. When he went to the cross, he said something that is powerful. He said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. The world is blinded. They don't know what they're doing. People are killed day after day. Wars are happening around us. But as a Christian, we should stand firm and preach by actions, forgiving others. And then we will see revival coming, people coming to Christ. And we can sense the Spirit of God moving among us. I want to close this, but uh, maybe there is an unfinished business. Maybe you have something that is uh, holding those glasses. But I want to tell you something. <laughs> Don't let the enemy taking over your privilege of being a Christian. Holding those grudges, holding those, those, those struggles, those pains remember this Jesus took them on the cross so holding them is just actually hurting yourself because someone once in a while did that and he took all at the cavalry why are you holding those grudges, those sorrows, those pain, if someone took them to the cross? If the Son set you free, you will be free indeed. Maybe, can you stand with me? I want to pray, and I know 
I know prayer. Prayer is the key that opens heaven. Prayer is the means of talking to our daddy. So if you are here, you have that unfinished business of forgiving someone who hurt you. I want to give you a lifetime opportunity. You know, the Bible is clear. <laughs> Today is for us, but tomorrow is not. So don't leave the sanctuary with that unfinished business because you have a lifetime opportunity today. If you are here, I want you to, as we bow our head, I want you to show me you have that unfinished business I want to pray to pray with you would you show me your hands yes so hands raised thank you thank you just Allow the Spirit of God to move. Bring all those sorrow, those pains at Jesus' feet. Let Him be the master of your life. He is worthy and He is willing to take it over. Don't burn, hurt yourself. Release it at his feet. And he's ready. Let's pray. Father God, we give you praise. You are almighty God. We give you praise because you are. It's how you are. How you loved us. You died. You took everything of the Calvary for us to be free. God, you set us free, but the enemy is blinding us every day, bringing those sorrows and pain that we can continue to keep them. But we know that, oh Lord, you achieve it all. You have done the great miracle to that cross taking our sins our souls our pains to set us free God I pray for my brothers and sisters those who have been uh, carrying those sorrows those pain have been offended God set them free I give you praise and thanks because you are God and we are your children forgive us oh lord because you are god of grace god of mercy give you praise and thanks 
in your precious name, Jesus. Amen.